The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. I've certainly enjoyed serving as your host on this show. I, I find myself in that wonderful place where I'm constantly looking out for people with an interesting story to share or a perspective to lend who I think you may appreciate. So I've learned through my own research on meaning and work in relation to identity that many people hunger for a meaningful life and work that goes along with it. They're seeking purpose, and, and when they find it, they often experience a strong sense of euphoria and peace. So as you know by now, if you've been listening in, I look for guests to bring on the show who are meaningfully connected to their work so that we can learn something about their path to how they got there and really understand how and why the work is meaningful to them. So those kinds of conversations can help raise consciousness to some of the things that may be missing in our own lives or sometimes help us feel grateful for the blessings we do have to actually be happy about. Um, so for this week, I get kind of a twofer in that way, I have to say. So I'll tell you, we get to have a conversation with Dr. Malia Maynard, who is a family medicine physician at Baylor Occupational and Family Health Center at Texas Instruments here in Dallas, Texas. Isn't that a mouthful? Um, but let me say how I found her. This is a fun story. So um, our kids have been going to elementary school for years now, and we've seen each other a few times at school. But it really wasn't until one of my, my previous guests on the show, Wade Cottingham, really said something about about being on the show to his students' parents, um, one of which, of course, is Dr. Maynard. And she began listening. She heard his interview. And once she did hear that, she realized the show is all about what I just said before, showcasing guests who feel their work is their mission or their purpose. And she thought, wow, that's how I feel about my work. I get up in the morning to do it, and the work is really the best way that I can do work that is just who I am. This is the work I'm supposed to be doing. And listening to the show reminded her of why she's doing the work in the first place. It's the best way to use what she's learned and where she's come from along her journey, personally and professionally. And listening was actually also a wake-up call for her to acknowledge, yes, there's a lot of hassles in medicine, but the essence of what she does day in and day out still is, is the same and makes it all worthwhile to navigate through the rest of all that minutia. So it's great to have you on the show, Dr. Maynard. Welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. I have a ton of questions for you. You have a very interesting journey here. You've been through a lot to get to where you are, and I want to kind of get into that. So one of the first things I love to do with my guests is to understand how they choose their careers, how they how they get into it. And you had an earlier career in audiology. So I want to first kind of understand, you said before when you were a young kid, you knew you wanted to be a doctor, but you didn't pursue that. So say first a little bit about kind of that early journey of you knew you want to be a doctor, but you went the audiology route instead. Well, um, I come from a very large family. Um, I'm number five out of six. I've got four older brothers and a much younger sister. 
And um, we um, moved around a little bit when I was young, very young. And um, I had, my brothers were constantly getting hurt or having adventures. And <laughs> we spent a lot of time at the Navy hospital. And I remember... <laughs> I can still imagine this. That would be a very energizing place for me. And I would see people busily moving around and doing things that I thought were cool. And um, I, I had this idea in my head it would be cool to be a doctor. And at that time, I thought maybe I wanted to be a pediatrician because that's mostly what I saw. Although I did see a lot of orthopedics um, if, you know, with my brothers. And, <laughs> I can imagine broken bones right and left. Yes. And um, I, you know, I thought that was a cool thing. I did, you know, look into it a little bit during school and I realized that's um, a lot of college. That's a lot of work. Um, I didn't really have a college, you know, fund or anything. And I really kind of kept it to myself. And I also, I think a little bit was insecurity, can I do that? Mm-hmm. You know, could I, you know, what if I tried that and I, and I didn't get through for some reason or other, either I didn't hack it with the grades or I didn't financially couldn't make it through. And I, I really, if I was going to do college, I really just wanted to succeed at it. Um, uh, there was a, a pivotal moment uh, when one of my brothers got hurt and he fell out of a tree he um, had a compound fracture of his elbow, uh, was bleeding pretty profusely, and um, m- my father, you know, back then, um, you didn't call an ambulance. You just threw your kid in the car and took them, and we were on the Capitol Beltway in D.C., and my dad's car wasn't in good shape, and we had to stop several times on the shoulder so he could do something under the hood. Oh, my gosh. And he had me holding onto his arm. My dad showed me where to hold and said, you need to squeeze right here or he'll die. Wow. <laughs> Little pressure. Yes. So you need to squeeze here. And um, it was, you know, now I know it, it, which artery it was. And I'm holding onto his arm and my fingers are turning white. And But I remember thinking, this is really important. Mm-hmm. What I'm doing here is really, really important. And he would get out and, you know, throw the hood up, tinker and do something and say words that he never said. And <laughs> then we finally did make it. And my brothers, you know, had surgery and, um, and did well. And, um, you know, as well as could be expected with that injury. And, uh, I, I remember that being a very pivotal thing. Like this, this is, this really helped. This really meant something. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I had that sort of in the back of my head all along. Um, when I went to college, I uh, I really was working part-time and going to college and didn't really, um, I looked at this classes that you take for pre-med and I, again, I had a little bit of hesitancy, again, um, maybe a little bit of insecurity. Uh, I didn't want to try and fail. Um, I didn't want to uh, squander my opportunity to go to college and then not, um, and then not make it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the call, the classes that you needed to take were chemistry classes and you had these four hour labs in the afternoon yeah. and I was working in the afternoons and the evenings. So I, I backed off of it a little bit and I was undecided as a major. Um, and, uh, you know, I found something that was, uh, in the, it was something that in, in my schedule fit in. It was an early morning class. I could go to that and make uh, all my classes were sort of stacked up. And then I left at noon and went to work. 
And um, it was hearing and speech sciences introduction class, you know, hearing and speech sciences 101 and got into that class and um, I just loved it. The first thing they did was show us the anatomy of the ear, which is a lot more complicated than it looks. And um, I really fell in love with it. I fell in love with the um, just learning the anatomy and physiology and how it worked, what the different parts were, what went wrong and what that caused. And it, I didn't feel like it was a class that was work for me. I felt like it was a class that was just cool. Yeah. You can just go and learn. And of course, you know, there is work. You have to write a paper. You have to take a test. There's all that stuff that goes along with being in college. But this was one of those classes where it was like, this is so cool. I love going to this class. Wanted to go a little bit further, ask them, well, can I take the next class? And they said, well, you can if you're a major. Oh, forced and, your hand. Yes. And I said, well, I'm not a major, but um, what do I have to do to be a major? And they said, <laughs> you have to declare. And I was like, oh, well, what do I do there? How do I do that? You fill out this form. I'm like, okay. So I filled out the form, declared my major, and I and I thought, well, I I can do I am I committed? Do I can I change again if I want to? And they said, yeah, you don't have to. You know, if you change your major, that's fine. But this is what you have to do to take more of these classes. And I did change to that. I liked all of the classes that I took. And I, you know, went on with that and sort of that's how I landed in audiology. And um, I, you know, I really didn't have a lot of long-term planning going on there. Mm -hmm. It was just what's next and what's cool, which is looking back on it, sort of a luxury in a way, but a happy accident too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So many great things about what you just narrated, narrated there. But one thing I really do want to call out about what you said is, here you are, you're a medical doctor, you're a physician, this is what you do. And that's such a revered profession. And I think the listeners will really appreciate hearing that you questioned yourself, that mm -hmm. you wondered, could I really do this? And I really appreciate you saying that because you're a normal human being, right? Mm -hmm. But you do this amazing work. So I appreciate the realness with which you narrated that story. I think if you stop question, I mean, you, uh, so there's a, a double edged sword here because I have a daughter who's about to enter college and I want to tell her you can do anything you want to do you just need to make a plan you you know all the things I didn't do um, you know you just need to plan it out and map it out and um, and I you know there's a there's a double edged sword there because um, I didn't do that and I also I think that if you don't have a little bit of doubt there's no Fire. Yeah, there's no push. I was right. going to say, I get so that. So you have to try things that are a little out of your comfort zone. And every day there are times when I hesitate and go, is this, is this really the best way to go? Should I, should I try this other thing first? Is this, you know, do I have this right? Am I hearing this right? Am I, are there, you know, there's three things this could be and um, which path do I go on mm -hmm. and how do I treat this or mm -hmm. how, or how do I proceed from here? Am I, do I give a little tough love to this person? Do I back off and realize they're, you know, they're not ready to hear this right now. Um, and I think that if you're not a little uncertain, you're not going to ask those questions. Mm -hmm. You're going to forge ahead and do something. And maybe it would be better to have a little doubt as long as it doesn't paralyze you. Mm -hmm. I've heard that from other doctors who say that a good, healthy amount of ego check and, and question and even sometimes I have a, a, a family friend who still does surgeries and he's a little bit of fear going into there sometimes really serves mm -hmm. you well. Not cockiness that I got this, but, you know, this is somebody's life we're dealing with here. Right. So. 
Do you have to walk that line? Yeah. And so, okay, so you you did this schooling. What kind of, is this, a, is this when you did the audiology path, and what kind of a degree did you get to practice in there? Well, that was another um, one of those things where um, I didn't really have a lot of strong advising going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> know I, that feeling, no, yes. And, my, and uh, my, parents, I, my parents are great. My parents were, you know, I love them, but my dad did not go to college. Sure. My mother was a nurse back in the 40s, so thing, she didn't really go to college went to a nursing school things were a lot different for them and and back then in the in i'll say it the late 70s you just you know you're 18 you go off and have your adventure and do your thing and college was part of that for me um and uh, they didn't invite they couldn't really advise me on okay you need to take this class this class and then this class and then you'll find yourself in a position to work here uh and i didn't really have anybody at school that that filled that role back then. So I did fall into a lot of things. Mm-hmm. One of the things is um, I did get to my end of my junior year, and I said, gosh, I should start looking at what kind of job can I get and where will I work, right? <laughs> so I asked somebody in the department, and they said, oh, well, you can't really get a job with a bachelor's degree. You have to have a master's. Of course. And I did not realize that. I'm all this time I'm thinking four years I'm done right so um, then I said well I guess I'm going to go to graduate school and again it was one of those things where well now now that I need to do this I'm going to make sure that you know I, I do it um, and and how am I going to do it and will I and will I take out loans will I get uh, will I work at the same time and I and I did both and I went to um, uh, so I started at University of Maryland and I went to the George Washington University for graduate school. And, um, you know, I sort of had been on the path at, at the point where you get your bachelor's degree in hearing and speech sciences. Um, at that point in time, you would split off to either audiology or speech pathology okay. at, for your master's degree. And um, I, again, that tug of the ear, was I was really kind of cut out for the audiology part um, a lot more strongly than the speech pathology part. Although we did a little bit of both um, in graduate school, and they are you know, closely related. Okay. So you finished your master's, mm-hmm. and then you went into the field. How long did you work in the field? Well, uh, I was. I started out uh, with a, uh, they do a nine-month, what we call a certified fellowship year. I went to Pittsburgh for that. It was very cold there. And it was not my cup of tea. I love Pittsburgh as a city. It was great, but the weather was just not for me. Um, I ended up looking for a job in the particular interest that I had in audiology, um, but I wanted a warmer climate, and I was able to find that. I just fell into this great opportunity in Galveston. I worked there for about nine years. Okay. And just a couple quick things before we have to go into break here. What did you like about working in audiology? Ah, well, um, I liked the, I liked looking at where the, where somebody was telling me they were having trouble or not. Um, if it was just a, a checkup then, or, or they were getting this because they were at risk for a hearing loss or something, then, then that was also, uh, something to, interesting, but I, I would, wanted to listen to what they had to say. Um, did they, were they having trouble in crowded rooms? Uh, were they having trouble hearing most things or just some things or some instances were fine if they could see the person's face? So I liked that sort of taking the history. And then I liked the puzzle of it. Mm, the um, puzzle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, there's a 
figuring out, seeing the clinical picture unfold. Uh, when you do audiology, there's a, a test, there's testing that you do, and you get little bits of the puzzle from each test. And I liked being able to put that together and say, okay, you have this type of hearing loss or this type of hearing loss or a mixture of these two things, um, and there's you know, something we can do about that or there's not something we can do about that and here's some suggestions on how to cope with it. Mm-hmm. Or, or you need to go and see the ear, nose, and throat surgeon and, and think about maybe there's a, there's a surgical solution for this. So I liked seeing that and, and trying to find a plan. And I also liked explaining it. Mm-hmm. I liked finding a way, my own way, of explaining it to someone so they just didn't look at me with their eyes glazed over and say, you know, uh, you know, I have a hearing loss. Okay, and explaining to them what happened or why they have a hearing loss. I liked you know getting into that conversation with them. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, perfect way to kind of queue up what we've been talking about so far for after the break. I want to hear more about about what happened amid the transition from audiology into medicine. Uh, we've been on the air with Dr. Malia Maynard. She is a family med- medicine physician at Baylor Occupational and Family Health Center at Texas Instruments here in Dallas, Texas. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. Stay with us. We'll be back with you after the break. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks so much for staying with us, and welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. We're here with Dr. Malia Maynard. She is a family medicine physician at Baylor Occupational and Family Health Center at Texas Instruments here in Dallas, Texas. 
I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We'll pick up where we left off. She was explaining to us how she first got into the field of audiology and how those early decisions kind of misshapen along the way, not a lot of input, just kind of found her way in the dark, got her to that field. And before Rake, we were discussing what it was that she really enjoyed about the field. And from here, I really want to hear, you mentioned there were some things that you enjoyed about working in the operating room when you were in audiology. Share with us what, what was that like? What did you like about that part? Um, well, I had opportunities um, in audiology. There's, there are certain areas that some people will subspecialize in. Some people do a little bit of everything. I was really interested in the electrophysiologic testing. Hmm. There's, um, at the time, it was fairly new. Now it's not so new, but back um, in the early 80s, uh, auditory evoked potentials were uh, a cool new thing that where you measure signals coming from you know, if you hear a sound, there are electrical signals that happen between the ear and the brain, and you can detect those signals and um, and actually identify if there's a disruption of the signal mm-hmm. somewhere on a way station between the hearing nerve at the at the cochlea, which is where the, your hearing organ is, and uh, you know, and, and actually up all the way through the brainstem into the brain, and that was um, something that just really fascinated me. Now, because we had the equipment to do that, um, a lot of times in the early days, audiologists also got to do some cool things. Visual evoked potentials was one thing. Sometimes we would work with the neurology department, or um, and and perhaps like for for example, if someone had a possible diagnosis of multiple sclerosis, they would look for two ways where there's a neural pathway that's disrupted. So they would want to know, you know, uh, let's look at the vision pathway. Let's look at um, they, you know, back then MRIs were pretty new, but let's look and see if we can find something on the spinal cord and then something in the vision. So they would need like two things to sort of confirm it. Um, we also did uh, some work with the somatosensory evoked potential, and, uh, and that's where you would actually try to figure out if there was a disruption in the nerve pathway between, let's say, your spinal cord and your leg um, or the your spinal cord in your arm um, and there were certain spinal injuries or surgeries that were going on where it was important to make sure was there a disruption or was there not a disruption so we got um, the privilege of working in the operating room uh, with some uh, spinal surgeries where they were putting in a rod and uh, you know I remember there was one instance where I was there and I lost the signal and I'm checking all my wires to make sure and everything was very hardwired back then um, to make sure that everything my machine was working okay and I finally you know said hey you know stop there's we've lost the signal um, the surgeon said you know I just put this retractor here let me just loosen that a little bit and it all came back magically wow so thank goodness those kinds of things were the that those were exciting things um, and I really did enjoy being in those in that environment and I was at that time very young and I had a lot of stamina being in the Oprah Auburn room <laughs> does require a lot of stamina you stand you stand around and wait and then something really exciting happens sometimes um, and so I, I really did enjoy that and I enjoyed seeing things in motion and um, yeah, I think if I had been uh, had gone to medical school, perhaps as a younger person, I might have ended up in a surgery or subsurgical specialty. Um, and uh, I do still like to be in a setting like in our procedure room. We'll do small surgeries, like you know, taking off a mole or taking a little biopsy, or um, you know, 
uh, incising and draining an abscess or something like that. And I really enjoy those procedures. I especially like taking out splinters. But um, Wow, really good to know (laughs) because I hate it. (laughs) But, um, you know, there's things that we do and I really enjoy the time I spend in there. Um, And my patients are awake because they're in my clinic. So I get to actually talk a little bit with them too. So that's fun. But uh, I, I did sort of learn about myself later on when I went back to medical school that I didn't want to be in the operating room all day or for most of the day. And I think that's something, you know, that I learned later and I'm not sure if that would have been, that would have happened anyway or just because I went back to medical school when I was older. Mm-hmm. That might cue us up here. I know that you have an opinion about clinical rotations in, med- in medical school, and maybe that's what you meant when we were having those early conversations about this is, had you had maybe more medical rotations, maybe things would have changed or something. But tell us why you think medical rotations are important. I do think they're important. I know that there's a movement now um, to shorten. Well, we have a shortage of doctors. We we need more people out there taking care of people. And there's there's been talk about shortening the medical school experience, the residency experiences. I do think, especially if you have a lot of young people, um, it, it does help to have as many different experiences as you can and sort of try, try on mm-hmm. uh, certain roles and certain environments. I think it really does help a lot to try to narrow it down. What you think you might want to do going into medical school Maybe what you end up doing, and I've seen a lot of people do that. They they have uh, they know in their heart that they want to be a dermatologist, and they don't have anything else that they want to they want to do, and they never change their mind. But I've also seen people think they want to do one thing, and then they get in that rotation or they get in that environment, and they go, "I'm not really happy here." Mm-hmm. I you know, and it's hard if you've invested a lot of time and resources into something. Uh, as I know, as I know, because I've done this before, where you switch, um, it's it is a it's sometimes a difficult thing to do. I think the more varied the experience is, the more you can give the young people experiences uh, in different fields, um, the better. And I, I'm a little bit nervous about this the movement, and I understand why it's there, but I'm a little nervous about the movement to sort of shorten the experience and condense things down. Mm-hmm. I would say very much so. I agree so much. We've both got young children, and I think exposing them to various kinds of jobs and professions is just so important instead of they get to choose from these three that they've seen before, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what happens. And so I think it makes complete sense what you're talking about. Yeah. Well, let's get into your transition because one of the things that I think our listeners are going to really appreciate in addition to what you've already told us is that you were 32 years old when you went to medical school. You had already gone down this audiology path here, and I want to really understand that process that you went through of deciding to pursue a career as a medical doctor. So you mentioned having kind of this persistent tugging feeling to pursue this work. Tell us about some of these key triggers and the process you went through to decide to go that route. Well, first of all, I think it was pretty telling um, that I chose to be in the most medical, technical part of audiology that you can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I have uh, dear friends in, in audiology that worked with me and were my colleagues, and we sort of complimented each other very well because one of them in particular loved working with the school system and the classrooms and the hearing aids on the little children. And I liked a certain a degree of that. I liked seeing kids in clinic. I loved, I loved our PD clinic. But um, I didn't want to go out to the schools and uh, that wasn't my thing. It was her thing, and she was brilliant. 
brilliant at it. Um, so, and there's some people that just want to have a clinic in a, in a neighborhood and, um, and, and cater to the need we have for people to come in, get their hearing tested and be fit with a hearing aid and have that sort of service. And again, we, we did everything in where I ended up in at UTMB in Galveston, we did everything. And, but some of us seemed to be, would lean toward one thing or another. And we would easily call the other person over and say, Hey, you know, can you help me out? I know that you're better at this than I am. Can you help me with this? Uh, you know, how do I adjust this or how do I fix this? And the same thing they would, you know, I think I had a niche there where they would say, um, we're going to go down to, the burn unit or we're going to go to the newborn nursery and we need to get these evoked potentials and you know can you come down here I'm having trouble with this and then, and I would be the person they call for that so we you know I think I took the most medical um, pathway that I could I think that was part of the what you, you know, the tugging that you were saying I liked being in that clinical situation I loved um, we um, did the newborn nursery screenings when they were very new where we went down and did the premature babies and the babies that were high risk for hearing loss and, um, and did evoke potentials on them where we, they didn't have to respond at all. We could just see the brain waves, um, and, and tell whether there was, um, major hearing loss or, or not. Um, and I really was pulled to that. I was also pulled to the clinical side of things. Our office was on the ear, nose, and throat ambulatory clinic floor. And whenever there was something going on that was cool in the procedure room, uh, you know, it, I would end up hovering at the door. And the residents that were there knew me, and I'd been there a long time, and they would wave me over, and I would end up elbowing the medical student out of place. <laughs> <laughs> so feel, telling. Yeah, I feel sorry for them, but I did. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there would be a double microscope of teaching microscope to look into the ear. And, um, I, you know, I would be, you know, saying, let me, let me look, let me see. And I had many people over the years say to me, and some of them kindly and not some of them not so kindly, why don't you just go to medical school? <laughs> Get out of here already. Yeah, why don't you just go to medical school? You know, it's what you want to do. Huh. And, um, and I, and I, thought about it and I, I really um, was I mean I was happy as an audiologist I loved what I was doing mm-hmm. and um, I it would be scary to change that and I didn't have a lot of um, I didn't have a lot of people saying you know other than people that didn't know me uh, and and didn't have anything invested in, in whether or not I succeeded um, saying that to me when my parents my, my dad never went to college and um, he was very happy and proud that, that his children mostly did and he's you know he was supportive in that way but his, his when I told him I was going to quit and go to med school and you know go into debt and do this he thought I was nuts mm-hmm. so I, I knew that I would get that kind of response in that corner so it, it, I hesitated and hovered and I kept thinking, and there was other things, you know, I kept thinking, well, I'm here and, and, and here I am and uh, going through my 20s and having a great time and everything. But eventually I'm going to settle down and, and have kids and, and uh, you know, I, the, my time for doing that has gone by. And, um, uh, well, at some point in time, you know, I actually decided I wasn't going to do all that. We didn't have kids and oh, get yeah. married and all get that. Oh, yeah, get married, have okay. kids. Famous last words, yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so sometime in my sometime around 29 or 30, um, some things happened personally, and I just ended up thinking, that's not going to happen for me. 
And mm-hmm. I'm so I'm not going to do that. So what am I going to do? And about that time, things started changing in audiology, too. It was harder to um, advance if you didn't have an adva- a more advanced degree than a master's. It, it, you know, you, if you wanted to go further within, let's say, a teaching hospital or, or even if you wanted to um, advance and, and, get your, and do your own business as an audiologist, there was a new degree out called an AUD, a Doctor of Audiology, mm-hmm. and not quite as... Um, it wouldn't have been quite as much of a risk as medical school, um, but it was still going to be a risk and I would have to take time out and I would have to um, figure out how I was going to do that. And so I had a crossroads. I had to make a decision. Am I going to stay where I'm doing what I'm doing or where I am? Am I going to break off and do this AUD or am I going to break entirely off and throw everything into this and go to medical school? And, um, you know, that was, that was where I found myself. I had to do something, you know, I could either choose not to decide stay where I was, or I could make a decision between those two things. Felt like I had a lot of false starts in a way. Um, I actually took some classes at the local community college, which you can't say enough about community college. Yeah. I started there. It was fantastic. Uh, yeah. I mean, I had already gone to University of Maryland, gone to George Washington University, and here I was working during the day, and the College of the Mainland in Lamarck, Texas was, you know, the closest community college that I could go to, and I thought, well, I'll go there, and I'll try some pre-med things, mm. and I couldn't get in because I couldn't get there in time to register, so I ended up taking accounting and economics for the first oh, semester. Oh, no. <laughs> Which I actually enjoyed, but but um, I didn't think I wanted to be an accountant. Although I, I actually liked that class, um, and so it, I had a false start or two, and I didn't tell anybody mm-hmm. that no, you were doing this. You were oh, taking these no, classes. It was secret. <gasps> I mean, they knew I was taking classes. That's interesting, but they didn't know that my goal was going to be pre med. You know, to get myself ready to take the MCAT. So it was sort of a very well kept secret that I was going to do that so it was you know actually kind of a good subterfuge to have some accounting and economics and oh okay maybe I'll take um a physics class you know um so maybe now I'll take chemistry (laughs) um and I did you know sort of uh have to do a couple years of that before I was ready to take the MCAT Mm -hmm. and then the um, decision was going to be if I bomb on the MCAT nobody knew nobody knew I was going to do this so I didn't, um, you know, so then again, it was this fear of crashing and burning. Um, if I, and if I do well, well then I'll apply. And if I don't get in again, nobody needs to know. Mm-hmm. I want to hear though more and we're, we've got it. We're coming up on a break here, but I do want to really understand those niggling feelings. I mean, you really had to go through quite a bit. I know you've, you've said there's a few things going on in your personal life, but to be able to make that change, there was a lot involved there. Mm-hmm. Can you describe those feelings? What was that niggling feeling like? Um, well, for one thing, I think part of it was um, I wanted to I wanted to learn more. I had um, you didn't feel satiated in your learning. I was very thirsty for knowledge, and and I've said this before, and I'm not sure if I stole this from somebody, but going to medical school, I think I did steal this from somebody, but I'm not sure whom, so I apologize. You're thirsty for knowledge, and then you go to med school, and they like stick a fire hose down your throat, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I I got what I asked for. Um, but yeah, that that curiosity, I think you have to have um, you have to have that as a as as a part of your personality, a part of the way you are in order to do this. Got it. 
Okay. We'll get more into that after the break here. Mm-hmm. We've been on the air with Dr. Malia Maynard, who is a family medicine physician at Baylor Occupational and Family Health Center at Texas Instruments here in Dallas, Texas. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. Stay with us. We'll, we'll say more after the break. what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. Now there's a new destination for video content, voiceamerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us support you. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us, and welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Dr. Malia Maynard, who is a family medicine physician at Baylor Occupational and Family Health Center at Texas Instruments here in Dallas, Texas. We've been talking about her her transition from a career in audiology into medical school. That's where we left you before the break. And I was asking her more about that niggling feeling, and, and it sounds to me like you were thirsting for more knowledge. What you had done was great. You enjoyed the work, but there was still more you wanted to learn and grow into. So there you were. Now you decided you're taking these secret classes. Nobody knows. Um, so somehow along the line, you actually end up in medical school. Mm-hmm. So tell us about that process. How, what was it like to be, to earn an MD? Well, um, we did talk about how you get, you get what you ask for. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I went to a very fine medical school, Baylor College of Medicine, um, and um, I, I have to, I can't say enough about the school. It was a very good school, um, and they did give us more clinical time than some other schools at the time. Uh, instead of two years of um, of the science uh, and classroom part of it, they compressed it, and you went a little bit more time over the summer between. Um, they compressed it into the 18 months and then you got really two and a half years of clinicals. So, um, so that was helpful. Um, it was, uh, you know, it's a lot of work. I'm, there's not, 
not to you can't romanticize something like this. It's very hard on you. You don't get a lot of sleep. It's a lot of work. Um, it's um, it's a little overwhelming. And I did have I had classmates that you know you're going to see uh, people to the right and to the left of you sometimes decide that's not for them, and then all of a sudden they're left with um, this time investment, this money investment that they had. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it was. Um, it was nerve-wracking, and I also have a little stubborn streak, so it was something that made me think, well, I'm sure going to do this. I'm going to get through this and do this. But, yeah, it was it was, um, it was was hard work. On the other hand, I, I'm really glad I did it. Um, it was throwing everything into the wind. It was cashing in my little bit of retirement that I, or any savings that I had and then going way further into debt and realizing that if I don't do this, I am really in trouble. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will be really, really in trouble. Um, and, but so it was a little bit of a, um, a leap of faith and sort of that thing where you step off the platform on the zip line and you're just kind of hanging there for a second. <laughs> um, so it, it was, it was like that, but I, I have to say that, um, you know, it was, it was very fulfilling and you could learn as much as you want and you could, you could do anything that you, any field that you wanted to do within reason. I mean, you, uh, there are, there are fields that it's harder to get into. Um, just, uh, lifestyle is very good. So they're very popular. So only the people that have the very highest grades are going to get in there. Um, and there's people, there are fields that are a little easier and there's, um, there are fields that I was absolutely, you know, really interested in, but there were a lot of them, which is why I ended up in family practice. Because you get to do a little bit of everything. You get to have continuity with your patients. Mm-hmm. Um, you get to get know them and you um, and you see them over time and you can understand they walk in the room, um, whether they seem to be doing better than usual or, gosh, there's something going on here. And, um, and I like to be able to try to intuit that when someone comes in the room and sort of get the vibe of how they're doing. Um, so... Uh, it, it taught me a lot. I, I really, I really enjoyed medical school. It was hard to, um, if there was times when it was hard to go without sleep and all that, but, um, <laughs> it was, it was worth doing. So were you working in audiology to get through medical school or well, how did you navigate that process? I, um, I did keep my, my, uh, certificate of clinical competence that we have in audiology. I did keep my license. I, I, you know, I had, I had everything, and I kept all of that up for the first year or two. I did work part time at um, actually one of our, my my former faculty members at UTMB was at UT Houston at the time, and um, I talked to him about it, and he said, you know, yeah, we could sure use you. Come up here, and you can do some of our screening in the in the uh, nursery because he was uh, in the ENT department at the time. Yeah, you, you know, we'll get you credentialed to do that. So they were across the street from my school, Baylor. And he, since I, you know, knew him, he was able to get me some real flexible hours. And so you go in at seven in the morning and do a few babies and then go to class. Um, <laughs> do a few babies. Catch yeah. a few babies, I've heard them say. Yeah. Well, not catch them in my sense. I was um, doing their hearing tests, but yeah, oh, okay. I do a few of those. Right. And, I, you know, I could do that on on the schedule that um, that I could do. I did that a uh, little bit part-time the first year. I did it the summer between first and second years. Once I got into clinicals, um, I really, A, ran out of time to do that sort of work, and B, I 
ran out of money to keep up. Uh, it came to a point where I had to like pay for my license again and do some things that you have to do to keep those things up. And I just, I had to let go. So, um, I, I, I didn't want to, but I really felt like it was time to do that. So haven't done any audiology since then, really, but still love the year. Yeah. Well, I, I can imagine that's where you got your start. Mm-hmm. So you, I'm guessing that's probably still a strength for you when, when, oh, when patients come in. Yeah, 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 lots of fun. Well, well give us kind of a, the, the general smattering of cases. What do you see? Everything from the broken toe mm-hmm. to the, the the blister and the splinter mm-hmm. and to diabetes to somebody who has diabetes, hypertension, asthma, and. Uh, you name it. I mean, we've got really complex cases and it's becoming more and more that um, those are cases that I manage as my population ages from when I started there. Um, Two very simple things. And I, you know, somebody, yes, comes in with, when you say splinter, you know, I've pulled out a splinter that's maybe 10 inches long out of somebody. Oh, my so, gosh. So, yeah, there's splinters and then there's splinters. Yes, right. Uh, so, but, yeah, I mean, everything from small procedures to uh, to somebody who just has the, an allergy attack or they just, you know, they've got a pink eye or something like that to to somebody who has really many things going on at once. And, and you never know, that person coming in with chest pain um, may may just have pulled a muscle working out. They may have acid reflux, or they may be having a heart attack. Mm-hmm. So um, it's you know we we do see anything. We're we're sort of uh, the stepping off point. Um, you know we may be able to take care of everything right then and there. We might need to refer somebody for further management with a specialist. We might be need to be sending them right off to the emergency room. So it's um, a family practice is not boring. <laughs> It is a full gamut, and I like what you said when you. So that makes so much sense when you said earlier, someone who is hungry to learn, mm-hmm. you get the chance to be able to see such a wide variety of different kinds of cases. I'm still learning. I learn every day. I and, and it, the nice thing about what I do, uh, since I'm not subspecialized, is I I have to consult with people who are, and they send me nice reports. And I can learn, okay, that thing that I couldn't figure out and I decided that it must be some neurologic problem and I sent them to the neurologist because I had done everything I could do to figure it out. This is what the neurologist found out. This is what they, and they you know, diagnosed and this is the way they're managing it. And I file that away and maybe I can get a little further down the path with that person or maybe I don't have to spend as much time and I can say, you know what, I really suspect that this is what's going on. I'm going to send you right over to the neurologist and we're not going to do all this other stuff or or the rheumatologist or the general surgeon or whoever I'm sending that person. So I think that comes with time and experience, um, and I, but I am still learning. Mm-hmm. I learn every day. Mm-hmm. And you like that. I do. I do like learning mm-hmm. every day. I do like, I actually like getting the consultant reports. You know, I, I get them and I'm like, oh, cool. I remember this person. I sent them over there a month ago for this. And, you know, this is what they said. Or they said, hey, this isn't, you know, what you thought it was. I really think that it's over here in this category. I learned from that. And, you know, I'm, I'm hoping I'm not ever going to be too proud to, to, you know, to learn, to say, okay, teach me what's going on. Mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. and you have to and it ch- medicine changes every day so you have to try to keep up and read and and um, do your continuing medical education as best you know to do to try to do a little bit of everything mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. fairly intense work 
So along those lines, one of the things I definitely want to hear you say more about, and it came up in our earlier conversations as we were talking about you coming on the radio show, is that you have this idea that this, this work is what you're supposed to be doing. Say more about that, because I think a lot of listeners out there, as I say early, I said early on in the introduction, they are hungry for that. People would love to be doing what they think they're supposed to be doing. And they tell me all the time, Elise, if only I knew what I was supposed to be doing, mm-hmm. then I'd go do it. So say more about why you think this is what you're supposed to be doing. Um, maybe I'm lucky in that I found that. Mm-hmm. But I did think I was supposed to be doing audiology, too. I mean, I, I liked, I love audiology. Um, I think that I found that I was supposed to sort of find, you know, approach a puzzle that somebody has and try to uh, guide them. And maybe, maybe if I can't fix it, at least um, help them understand it. Mm-hmm. Or, or maybe I can fix it. Um, so I think that uh, that's what I was meant to do. I like, I think medicine is the best fit for me and what I was really called to do because um, I, I do, we talked a little bit about the flow of work and all of that. I do, I get into the room with a patient and I do lose track of time and I like that feeling, mm-hmm. although it does get me behind in my schedule. But I do love that feeling of um, immersed in the problem and I can, I can um, sort of get my teeth into it and I'm learning, you know, I'm learning what is going on with that person and then trying to find out, you know, why is that happening and what can we do about it? Um, so I, I think that that is the calling that I have. Um, I don't, I, I don't know that that's the only thing that I could do though. And we did talk about a little bit about this. I think there are other things where I might be able to get that satisfaction. I just know that I, I'm really landed where I need to be. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I landed in a good place. Mm-hmm. And and I'm going to queue up another question just related to that. But before I get there, one of the things that I would say is that in my own research around meaning and work and identity that I've been doing over the last three years, I've interviewed scientists and physicians and IT professionals and engineers, and many of them will say something along the lines of what really matters for them is they love solving difficult, complex problems. Um, and you mentioned earlier the puzzle piece of what you liked about audiology. And so there's an, it, I find it quite interesting that for me, that's not at all what I like to do. In fact, that's the last thing I want to do in my work, right? Mm-hmm. It's just not what, what floats my boat. But I have seen that coalescence of, of, for some of the more technical scientific trades, that is a part of it for a lot of people. And I think it's really interesting that part of what you're gravitating to, not all of it, but part of what you're gravitating to is that notion of solving a problem, healing something, fixing something. Mm-hmm. Or at least um, explaining it, teaching it. Yeah. And you know that... Um, uh, I think it's the Greek for doctor means teacher. Oh, okay. So a lot of what I do is is teaching someone why why is their sugar up? Why is their why are their blood pressure up? What you know what is making that worse? What could make that better? And what's the process behind it? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that the teaching part of that teaching is, part uh-huh. is is a piece of why it fits for me. Okay. Well, we're coming down to our, our, our hour here, and I, maybe I have just one last question I can queue up. I had others that I wanted to ask you as well, but maybe this is a nice one to finish. One of the things that you said is that when you listened to the show, it made you help, helped you realize that you have a lot to be grateful for in your work. So in just maybe a minute or less, could you tell us a bit of, what do you mean by that? How so? Um, well, I think that I'm, I'm grateful that I have the privilege of sitting in a room with somebody and they tell me things that they may not tell their family, mm-hmm. their spouse, mm-hmm. anybody, mm-hmm. and I have that privilege of 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 hearing those things and trying to 
at least if I if I can do nothing else, I can at least listen. But um, it and trying to and getting to know them and having the opportunity to be there for very um, difficult conversations or, or good conversations, um, both of those things. I'm also very grateful that I'm landed in a place where I you know um, have really good support. Um, as much as I might gripe about the things that are going on in the documentation and the medicine, and again, this is one reason why I'm even doing this was to sort of bring it back to me. Why am Why am I here? Um, as much as I is on my gripe about all that, I am in a in a organization um, where they try to keep their forward thinking. They're trying to look ahead and where is medicine going and what will you need to be able to do. And I'm um, you know I'm happy to be there. I my partner is a great fit for me. My practice manager. We're all, I'm very grateful to be where I am. Wow. What a great way to close, Dr. Maynard. Thank you so much for being on the show. I knew this was going to be a great interview. There were so many great things there. Just a couple of things that I think are really worth calling out is paying attention to those those early experiences like you had with your brother on the way to the hospital, on the ER room. I mean, that is such a powerful story. So many amazing things that we could say about that. And even the reality with which you you described your, your, your journey, can I really do this? Can I get through medical school is great for a lot of listeners who are like questioning themselves. I question myself all the time, right? So, so many things that we've learned from you in this conversation. I appreciate so much you sharing. If you want to learn more about Dr. Maynard, you could always visit her, her at her Baylor website, which is www.familydoctorsdallas.com. It's been a great conversation. Thank you for being here. I look forward to convening with you all your listeners next week. See you then. Remember that work is one third of our, of our lives, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.